0: Didn't we start shopping headlines? Did we do it?
1: We did shop headlines. Better Off Red was discussed, and it is what ended up on the website on uh, Friday yes. night. Congratulations at you, Mr. Wabash. It coming was. Up. It makes sense. You would have, I would think you would have like, the, the, the market cornered on headlines involving red things.
2: You would think so. Uh, tour like that, too, because it's a Cincinnati Reds reference to something, a blog or something that he follows.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was a it was a great headline, especially with Red beating Purple for the first time since, like, 03.
3: I missed her. I'm in his seat. It just doesn't feel right.
0: Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith McMillan.
3: Red Hot rock Rudder one more time for this. <laughs> Red Hot rock Rudder. That was it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, episode 270, season 13, episode 33, the one with the national champions, and those national champions are the Cardinals, Of North Central College as they defeated the University of Wisconsin-Whitewater by the final score of 41-14. to We're here to talk about all that. We're here to also uh, do the things that we also always do on this end-of-season podcast, which is to discuss who should be the Offensive Player of the Year, the Defensive Player of the Year, the Coach of the Year, and then to give our, uh, our memories and our high moments of the 2019 Division III football season. And in order to do that, uh, let's uh, go around the table and uh, just kind of remember and refresh people on who the cast of characters is. I'm Pat Coleman, the executive editor of
0: D3Football.com. I'm Keith McMillan, the longtime co-host and former player. I'm Sparkleman,
3: also known as Frank Rossi. Yeah, I'm Greg Thomas.
0: Greg Thomas, who uh,
1: needs no other introduction other than to say he's Greg Thomas, uh, Greg Thomas, uh, pregame and halftime host. Greg, and
0: Greg needs an introduction. <laughs> I know,
1: that's what I'm saying, but he didn't provide one, so... That's kind of what it I was I was getting. going for
2: brevity. Mm-hmm.
1: Brevity <laughs> Not is,
0: our strong suit here. No, but it is soul the of soul
1: of wit. Yes, thank you. It's not always good when uh, um, I'm repeating or pre peating things that Frank has said. Of course, we have national champion for the first time. It is North Central College. As we mentioned, they defeated UW-Whitewater, 41-14. Of all the things that we saw possibly coming, I am not sure that this scenario, the one in which Whitewater shut out at the half... I think that's the most important part. North Central scoring, totally understandable. Whitewater shut out at the half, and for the first 37 minutes of the game, big surprise.
3: Indeed it was. I I will say that it, the same thing I said on the sideline. I've done the sideline for six Whitewater stag bowls. I can never remember them being manhandled that way. I can't remember the sideline being as quiet as it was, the fans being uh, the way they were. It just – It was a weird, weird night, and I think they have a team that can be back here, and I think they're going to have a lot of things to question about how things got handled tonight, but give it all to North Central. It was North Central's night through and through.
0: Yeah, and and North Central has played this way offensively for the vast majority of the season. I think it got on a lot of people's radar, if not in in round one, where they put up 51. Um 59 the next week against Mountain Union I think was the eye-opener for a lot of folks They were the 5th ranked team in the country Coming into the playoffs So they were on our radar They were on Pat's radar Enough for Pat to buy a plane ticket To go to Alliance In case the big upset happened Then it happened And Mountain Union was out of the playoffs For the first time since 94 DelVal was, a, was one of the top 3 defenses in the country North Central 31-14 That one Muhlenberg was a high-ranked uh, defense much like the game today, 38-7 at the half, 27-0 at the half here in Shenandoah on Friday night. North Central's offense hadn't been stopped and really wasn't going to be stopped, except for briefly at the end of the the Wheaton game back on October 5th. It was the the North Central defense, I think, had been up and down in some points of the season, obviously gave up 52 a couple of weeks ago. And uh, the Warhawks, Scored 35 last week, had looked great, been able to establish themselves, pound the rock. Max Myler had, become, had been emerging as a starting quarterback, showed some, some wheels in the semifinal against St. John's, and thought, wow, they, they may have an emerging d- dual threat, uh, a passer and a runner. And it just didn't happen for them tonight, and a lot of that credit goes not just to the North Central defense in a platitude way, but they were very intelligently... Sold out to stop the run early in the game. Got Whitewater out of its game plan, and then when that potent offense built a lead, Whitewater had to stay outside of what it normally did to try to get back in the game.
1: We uh, just learned this the other day. We mentioned it on the previous podcast, but knowing that more people will probably listen to this one because it's at the end of the season, I just wanted to revisit the you know the news that we got that Brock Rudder played you know that Wheaton game with broken ribs or a broken rib or part of the game with a broken rib. You know, just a uh, an incredible you know, feet, but I also wonder, you know, how much if we go back to that is, you know, a little bit less mobile now, is he taking more sacks? You know, that second half obviously is like the only time all season where they are not what they looked like here in the Stag Bowl. Uh,
0: I see what you're saying too, and he broke a rib at some point during that game, And, and North Central kept it well under wraps because Rudder played the next two games but didn't practice the next two weeks. Uh, they have a great offensive line so they can protect him. And, uh, you know, there was a story that Coach Thorne told about Rudder coming out for one of those two games where he hadn't practiced all week and he was going to play, and he doesn't have a shirt on, and you could see the flak jacket under it. Under it, And uh, Thorne told, tells him, go back and put a shirt on. Are you, are you asking for them to try to hit you in that rib? And uh, obviously he healed up. He looked great for uh, for the rest of the season. And part of the reason – Brock Rudder was so great is because the offensive line, the running game was so great. But also part of the reason the running game and the offensive line was so great is because Brock Rudder was the quarterback. And, and uh, he gets the ball out quickly. He directs the offense. He's a four-year starter. I think we made a joke one uh, early podcast this year. The first time Brock Rudder's name came up, we were like, is he still the quarterback at North Central? Because it feels like he's been there forever. <laughs> and uh, obviously, he, he gave North Central a forever moment. at the end of the 2019
3: season. And more to the point that you're bringing up about his health, uh, tonight he had what I would call a flak belt on uh, essentially uh, and taped up in a way that literally after he threw the final touchdown uh, to Kaminsky, he came off the sideline and he was trying to tear the thing off in some way, shape or form. It took three people to tear all the tape and everything holding it in place. Um, Between that, the knee brace he had on. I mean, look, these seasons take a toll on you and to be able to make it through the 15 games, the 16 weeks, you're probably going to be bumped and bruised somehow, some worse than others, but he played through it and
1: didn't seem to complain one bit about it, at least to us. And now on the podcast, I have to recognize, of course, our long-term sponsor this season. Thanks once again to the folks at Gotta Have It. Uh, you can find their stuff at gottahaveitfanfoams.com. I would have to think that, you know, we, they started this process at the beginning of the season, having put out these uh, 3D-layered foam, these kind of substantial-looking Fan representations after the uh, end of last season with the four national semifinalists. And uh, at that point, you know, that was Mountain Union, that was UW-Whitewater, that was Johns Hopkins and national champ from 2018, Mary Harden Baylor. I'd have to think that North Central would look pretty snazzy in a fan foam. I would have to think, of course, uh, uh, St. John's would look snazzy in a fan foam as well. You know, that Muhlenberg Mules logo, I don't know about the fancy curly M, but do they still do the kicking Bronco mule thing? Anybody? Yes, in the M in one of them, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that would look pretty good as well. Um, So definitely look forward to uh, seeing if something like that develops. If you are, you know, a fan of one of the teams I previously mentioned, go to gottahabitfanfones.com. Get this for your wall. You want to have it going into the 2020 season uh maybe you know you've got a, a a late gift for somebody maybe you celebrate 12th night right the epiphany the three wise men have brought you gold frankincense and a you know a mary Hart baylor fan foam i, I think that's a, that's an alternate translation that's not king james but something like that
0: and folks like myself might check out after the football season but if you are a D three football, D three hoops, D three baseball fan, fan foam is sport unspecific. You can bring it to to the rivalry basketball game, same as the rivalry football That's right, it's a, it's a sport
3: agnostic. I want to buy my first one actually in the off season. Maybe someone will give me one for Christmas finally.
0: A sparkle man fan foam.
1: Alright, so if you are interested in those sorts of things, or if you are a member of a school or an athletic department, you're a marketing director, you know, you're now an assistant coach who's got some time on his hands here in the offseason when you're not out recruiting, right? You also maybe are in charge of engaging with your alumni base, with your fan base. Go to Got to Have it Fan Foam. scroll down on the page to where you see, see what we can do for you, and get that process started. Get these officially licensed fan foams for your school, and we thank them for sponsoring the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Rudder, of course, not only ends the season as the Guilardi Trophy winner, maybe there's another award that might come his way before we finish this podcast. I can't say for sure yet, but of course a first-team All-American. 18 to 27 passing for 263 yards and two touchdowns, and that 263 gives him the all-time Division Three record for most career passing yards. Just a, a fantastic, uh, you know, thing to add to the resume, and it came right at the end of the game.
3: He uh, threw a pass to Andrew Kaminsky that ended up being what we found out later on the uh, field from him uh, was an audible. And it was an interesting set of moments because uh, you and Keith, Pat, were talking about it upstairs. I tried to feed the message downstairs. They kind of knew it themselves. ESPN yeah, was talking about it. they were tracking it. They were, but they literally asked me, players on the sideline, if he had it yet, so they weren't 100% sure. And next thing you know, with that timeout being taken before the fourth down play, uh, somebody decided to t- tell somebody something because they uncorked it uh, with the
1: audible. Empty backfield here for Rudder. Drops back to pass on fourth and three over the middle to Kaminsky. Kaminsky takes it into the end zone. Touchdown, record, and sealing up the game 40 to 14. So that is Brock Rudder, the all-time leading passer in NCAA Division III history. And how you know, fitting is it that it goes to Kaminsky, who finishes with a 28-yard touchdown? Kaminsky gets a record with that. Rudder
3: gets a record with that play.
1: Right. Kaminsky ends with uh, more than 2,000 yards receiving as a result of that and uh, adds another touchdown to his total. And, you know, just uh, – you know, I think that, you know, in some days and in some instances people might ask whether that was necessary. I don't have any problem with that. Did anybody here have any problem with that?
0: No. I mean, it didn't change the outcome. I, I mean, I generally would be frowned upon, but I think knowing – that it set the record for both players. It was it was an audible that Rudder called himself, so you don't get mad at the at the North Central coaching staff. And also, Kaminsky was getting doubled off the line. They had two guys jamming him. Yeah, unfortunately, they had no guys covering him, <laughs> and so once he got off the jam, uh, it was an easy touchdown. And those are two guys, Rudder and Kaminsky, who go back to grade school as friends, high school as seven on seven partners, in uh, as quarterback and wide receiver, and one of the reasons Rudder came back to North Central after he started his career at Indiana State as a scholarship-level player is that there were guys he knew. He's a Naperville native, and uh, he got he got a chance to play with his old friend, and, and what a better way for them to go out, not just as national champions, but connecting one last time.
2: And I think that last play for North Central, that last touchdown, was – you know, uh, emblematic of the way that they've played this entire playoffs, which is full speed, full throttle all the way. And you know, until games are well, well in hand, you didn't see North Central really slow down on their offense. And in the second half, they still ran their plays. They took a lot more time between plays. They let the clock run a lot. Uh, just watched it spin. But you know, going going for the dagger, going for the you know the the final blow there uh, is exactly how they've played this entire playoffs and you know, fits with that playoff mentality that they've had since October.
3: And one thing I'll let you know, if anybody was uh, thinking that Whitewater would be upset with that play, I saw a couple of Whitewater coaches well after the awarding of the uh, Wallen and Bronze and all that uh, actually go back to congratulate players and coaches of North Central. There seemed to be no ill will toward the whole thing. So, you know what, if they're not
1: upset, then why are we? All right, fair enough. Well, that that is the reason why I asked the question, because I think people out there could certainly be that way. So, Good to have all of that background and then, you know, actual reporting from the field. That's great. Uh, On our podcast 269, we talked about, you know, what might be a number that Ethan Greenfield might run for, plus or minus 75. I know, Frank, you said 125. The total was... 138 yards, three touchdowns. We remarked on this in the post game, too. The thing that most impressed me was that, you know, he's only stopped for a total of three yards of lost yardage on the evening by, you know, again, a very vaunted uh, and, you know, well publicized front line for Whitewater.
3: What uh, he said, uh, or what his teammates said to him while he was on the stage getting MLP trophy was. Tell them how you pounded the rock, which it was kind of an interesting flip on the whole thing here. Uh, You know what? When you run for that that kind of yardage against that defense, I think you earn the ability to joke about it.
0: And and I'll take that one step further. Once you um, earn the success – where you, you have the success that that Whitewater has as a program, even though these 2019 players are far removed from the, the last Stag Bowl champion in 2014 to the degree that n- no player on this roster had been in a Stag Bowl before. The, most of the coaches are at Buffalo. Kevin Bullis was on the staff as a defensive specialist in, and assistant head coach back in in 2014. Whitewater's success over the years has made, has made them go from the Hunter when, when they were chasing Mountain Union, six championships in nine years, and they become the hunted. and so you get a little bit of that um, teasing. It makes it more special for North Central to win. If you ask North Central their best two wins of the season, guarantee you they'd say the Mountain Union win and the Whitewater win, and there's a reason for that. It's because those two teams, those two programs, along with Mary Hart and Baylor, are the standard bearers in D3. And now we've got a new standard bearer, much thanks to, uh, to Ethan Greenfield, to Brock Rudder, to Andrew Kaminsky, but also to these five guys who Greenfield would not let us go without mentioning and gave the most passionate. <laughs> I want to also mention my offensive line that I've ever heard.
2: Uh, it feels great, but
1: I can't accept it because this belongs to the offensive line.
0: And that's uh, left tackle Will Ebert, Sharmor Clark, the left guard, Gerard Thornton, the center, Ricky Sturbo, the right guard, Colton Bachnecht, the right tackle. And don't forget the tight ends, Alex Rose, Tyler Egan. And uh, Egan had a pretty nice game tonight.
1: Yeah, he did. You know, A guy who had seven catches uh, the entire season coming in. Alex Rose played a little bit, but was not expected to be at full strength. I actually was not sure he was expected to play at all. He did get on the field at least for a couple of plays. But, yeah, a really nice night. For him, uh, we talked about Kaminsky. Let's talk just the numbers real quickly. Nine catches for 134 yards and the touchdown. Um, but let's also, I think, talk. Let's flip over to the other side a little bit. Let's look a little bit, a little bit at Whitewater. Uh, we talked about, you know, what would what would Myler do? I did not think that Myler would have the, uh, the running game uh, that he had in the semifinals again here on Friday night, but he did, and then he also threw 42 times. Uh, But just an average of like about four and a half yards per attempt. He got picked off a couple of times. But, uh, you know, I can see where, you know, now you get an offseason of Myler throw into those guys, especially those guys who dropped passes and a bunch of guys, you know, dropped some passes, especially early on in the game. Yeah. Yeah. And late in the game, too. Um, That's going to be a a big uh, boost for him going forward.
2: I do think that one thing that was really different between these two passing games today is that whitewater passes seem to me to be, you know, well covered. Myler had to really thread the needle on a lot of, on a lot of balls. He did get some drops in there, but you know, a lot of whitewater catches that were down the field, not just the swing passes that they ran, but the things down the field were well covered, had to be really well thrown balls. Brock Rudder. His guys were wide open all day when he was throwing. Wide, wide open. Uh, you know, I don't recall more than one or two catches by Cardinal receivers today where they were really uh, blanketed and, and made, uh, you know, great catches in coverage.
0: And I think that's fair. They didn't have to reach for overthrown passes. And I think a lot of that is on Rudder. And some of the misses were on Myler and some of the misses were on his receivers. But if you want to spin it forward for Whitewater, Myler's a junior. So is the, the backup and the starter during the regular season, Zach Olis. Four of the five offensive linemen are juniors. Kumaro, Wisniewski, Parrish, the, the three wide receivers are juniors. And I should not leave out the guy who had the big game today in uh, in Holt. He's a sophomore. So you got four wide receivers are coming back. Alex Pete, the star running back, is coming back. Ponick will be gone. Left tackle Matthew Sager will be gone. And those are the only two s- contributors – on the whitewater i I should say jared ware too he's a senior as well so so three significant senior contributors um are gone and even the backup lineman there's only one senior in there so whitewater is bringing back a good majority of its offense and may have a loaded offense for next season but they lose a ton of that defense and when we get to the point in the podcast when we talk about next season i think it's gonna be wide open because you got North Central's losing Rudder, although they're bringing some of the stars back. Whitewater's got this loaded offense. St. John's loses Jackson Erdman, and, and on down the line. We're going to talk about next season in this podcast. All right, good to know. Hey, Frank.
3: I just want to say, you know, when it comes to defense of like North Central's, I, there was no way they were going to be able to just keep guessing every play. So to me, it was early and often, it seemed like they committed to stopping the run, daring them to throw. If they were going to beat them, it was going to be by the throw, period. And it didn't work, uh, ultimately, for Whitewater with the throw. Because, like you said, what, 42 attempts uh, tonight? I mean, that was far outside any of our guesses uh, yesterday. And that's not their comfort zone at all. So, yeah, it it had something to do with going up 20-whatever-nothing at halftime. But it was starting that way in the first quarter, not just through the second quarter, the third quarter, et cetera.
0: Yeah, I I think you saw the difference tonight in having a four-year starter. At quarterback in North Central and a four-game starter coming in in Max Myler. In in UW-Whitewater, Max Myler's got a lot of talent, and he's got a lot of talent to work with, but those guys just aren't as sharp passing. And uh, North Central's defense, as you mentioned, Frank, sold out to stop the run early, made Whitewater do the thing they don't do as well to try to beat them, and it was a smart defensive strategy. should give the Cardinals some credit defensively as well.
1: We're going to move on to the portion of the podcast where we talk about who the offensive, defensive uh, players of the year should be, who the coach of the year should be. Do you mind if we start with what I think will be the easy one? And I will throw onto the floor for nomination as coach of the year, Jeff Thorne, the head coach of the Cardinals of North Central College. It's good. I, we probably should just bring
3: up a couple other names at least uh, besides just uh, sitting on that. I mean, Kevin Bolas uh,
1: deserves some. Uh, recognition for his season there. Good one. Uh, Let's see. If we had been talking about this, you know, before we got here, like some of the guys who are the uh, regional coaches of the year, of course, uh, Bob Owens at Chapman, uh, a great season. You know, they went out in the second round. Going out in the second round is a great season if you're Chapman. Uh, I'm not sure if it's a great season from the national perspective. Uh, We're looking at East Region Coach of the Year, Bob Ritter, Middlebury. I think there may be a, uh, I know, the only undefeated team this season. Yeah, I get that. But I I think that uh, there should be some uh, requirement that you participate in the playoffs to be someone at
0: the next level. Keith is looking at me all uh, surprised-eyed. I'm not surprised at all. They are the the last standing undefeated team. They were as of last week when uh, North Central beat Muhlenberg, but they did only play nine games.
1: Right, nine games as opposed to a lot of the people we're talking about in the, uh, the teens and uh, maybe 15. In uh, the West region, we mentioned, of course, Bob Owens. Uh, Mike Clark of Bridgewater, I think similarly a great season for Bridgewater, going 10-0, and advancing to the playoffs but losing in the first round. And that describes what happened in the North region as well with Don Beebe of Aurora. So do we have other people who we haven't mentioned yet that we should mention or talk about?
0: As far as coaching? It's weird because my coaching logic is like who did the most with the least a lot of times, but it's also hard to look at a national championship team and not praise the coach, whether it's Vince Karras or, or uh, Pete Fredenberg, or and today it's it's Jeff Thorne. The, the the amount of holding it together you have to do on a national championship team, especially in this case where they lost a game, they had personal tragedy affect the team they had these weird occurrences when they were on the road and the bus breaks down they had to change the plans and fly into a different city all this stuff you find that out as a team plays on into 15 weeks um, but he also had a loaded team so some of the other coaches who, who had great years Nate Millen at Muhlenberg stands out but also loaded team you know we knew they were great from last year so I think I, I can get get on board with Thorne um, but I also could get on board with a, you know, with a guy who did the most with the least.
3: I, I was going to bring up Milne because I didn't think we had mentioned his name, but I, I want to say this. I, I think it's pretty common knowledge that this team, the winner North Central, was one of the last teams, if not the last team, picked. They almost didn't make this playoff uh, round or this, these playoffs at all. We'd we'll be talking about it in something entirely different, and that should suggest to you that. There were doubts as to whether his team could even get through two rounds, let alone the full five rounds, ultimately. And Coach has to lead that mentality to get them through it. So that's why I think Thorne is a wise choice.
1: Uh, show of hands for Jeff Thorne. All right, hearing no objection. Oh, thanks. And uh, Steve Frommel in the back uh, voting for Jeff Thorne as well. Jeff Thorne, the D3Football.com national coach. Of the year. That was the easy one, and we still talked for like uh, three minutes about that. So I'm going to try to. I know, right? What? I think Offensive Player of the Year is going to be even easier. Well, let's go with the, that one next. Uh, candidates. I thought uh, at the beginning, you know, coming into this week, we might have to consider Andrew Kaminsky in addition, you know, as maybe as a guy in addition to Brock Rutter. I, I think uh, if we look at, you know, generally what the requirements are to be. The D3Football.com National Offensive Player of the Year. It's got to be someone who made the first team All America list. That's fairly easy. And uh, it is not often that we end up considering guys who were uh, linemen, uh, but we've talked about them in the past. So we look at the first team quarterback, of course, is Brock Rutter. I think Robert Shuford of Birmingham Southern is the best of the better of the two first team running backs. Uh, gosh, Kaminsky or Justin Hill both had fantastic years. Um, uh, we have never really talked about a tight end as offensive player of the year. Um, ben Barge and Joe Crawler the first team tackles. Sharmore Clark and Garrett Garza are the guard Zach Smith of Hope is the center. Uh, we were talking about Brock Rudder do let's talk about other people first before we come back around.
0: I mean I guess the argument for Kaminsky, and I don't know how you separate him from Brock Rudder, he gets separation. <laughs> separated i knew there was a joke coming there uh 31 touchdown season i don't know i th- don't think he got to two thousand yards receiving but he was awful close i think, I think he, he did right on that last catch okay it was i don't know how high he was in the 1800s 1880
1: he needed 112 i think and got 134
0: yeah. okay and uh the catches well into the we got hundreds yeah I don't have the, the the number in front of me, but we should have this since it's a recorded podcast. Right? One hundred and thirty-three. Thank you. Um, those numbers on a team in a year when you don't have Jackson Erdman, Brock Rutter, Justin Hill, who was was outpacing uh, Kaminsky by just a little bit before those Kaminsky's team knocked Justin Hills out, and if Justin Hill played three more games, he would have put up sick numbers the rest of the way too. Um, but I don't know how you can vote for, for – for when you look at the numbers for Rudder and for uh, Kaminsky, I don't know how you can – and these guys won the national championship. I don't know how you can pick anyone else.
1: Yeah, I don't really think so either. Um, and rather than continuing to discuss and discuss around, I'm going to ask for a show of hands for Brock Rudder. All right, that is another uh, unanimous for Brock Rudder. I know we're doing this visual thing here on this audio podcast, and I apologize. It creates
0: a little drama. I like it.
1: That's right. Yes, it's like this uh, secret ballot that is, uh, at the end, I don't make it all that secret. Going to the defensive player of the year, this is the one I think where we're going to probably going to have some discussion. And this is one like where last year we had a lot of discussion and went around in a circle and ended up in a strange, not in a strange place, but an interesting place. We have some of those same people and same names this year on the first team All-America defense. Michael Nobile and Frankie Feaster, the defensive ends, Dallas McCray and Joey Longoria, the tackles. Tevin Jones is the top vote-getter at linebacker. Daniel Shelton's the top vote-getter at uh, corner. Jefferson Fritz, the top vote-getter at safety, and those are generally, again, the pool from which we would choose and also in a situation where, you know, none of these guys played here tonight.
0: Not only that, but, the, but did they play well in their, in their, against their best opponents? Um I don't think F- Frankie Feaster had his best game against North Central. Mm-hmm. And uh he he was a game wrecker all season, was last season as well. And Nor Muhlenberg's defense um did not perform well against North Central and and Frankie Feaster owns part of that, but so does the rest of his defense. Um, no- Nobile? Yeah, good, I'm good looking case? up I'm looking up Nobile. Um no, I just have the short
1: version of the uh, of the box where i remember that anthony nobile actually had the better numbers against uh against north central but you know i don't know I, I the mean, michael th- nobile is a guy who i think eventually is going to get this award uh yeah, possibly sack, this year too
0: the sacks for the season are, are pretty uh nuts yeah it was in the
1: 30s well it's 30s and tackles for loss and in the teens for sacks or something I like that right
0: frank greg uh, i'm 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 open to uh to, I could be swayed on this. I,
3: I, I'm going to put out the name, and you're not going to be shocked by this, I'm sure, Tevin Jones with 147 tackles.
1: Uh, I mean, I am not surprised by that. Why am I not surprised uh, by that? We're
3: all not surprised by it, but I think for legitimate reasons, I still bring it up because after missing a year and uh, being called rusty by his uh, head coach before the season began, he came in anything but that, and you bring up you know, playing your best game against uh, your best opponent, uh, he had double-digit tackles and an interception against Whitewater despite that loss in that game. He tried to get them over that hump, and they just weren't able to do it on offense that day. So that's why I look to him. Uh, Nobiel, uh, the only question, I and I can't remember the answer to this, to be honest with you, was how many of those tackles for loss came in the Kane game, and then how many came in the rest of the games this season because there was a chunk there.
1: Well, I mean, he's not going to get a big chunk of 30 in any one game, right?
3: He had like six and a half sacks and or tackles for loss in that cane game, I think. So I mean, he did get a chunk in that game. And what, how many did he have in the rest of the games?
1: Well, he ended up with 31 on the season, and uh, so yeah, that's that's not it's about a fifth in that one game. I it's not like I get, it's not like I, it was 12. Yeah, no, I get. It. I just I, and, I, or, I, or against Kenyon or something.
3: I just wasn't sure because hey, information's our front here. I think
1: that's good information. Um, I don't know quite what to do with it. Uh, who else has ideas about this?
2: Something interesting here is, is that uh, North Central played against three of the four defensive players of the year uh, regionally, and of those uh, of those three, Dallas McRae of Wheaton North North Region Defensive Player of the Year had uh, two sacks on Brock Rudder in the effort that the, the only effort this season that, that could slop, uh, stop uh, Brock Rudder and the North Central offense.
1: Well, that's a good point. I, I'm not sure how many times if we've ever named a defensive tackle as defensive player of the year, but I don't know why we wouldn't, right? Is there's no reason why we wouldn't, right?
0: I'm sh- I'm sure. Was it Kleppy?
1: Uh? Oh yeah, Ryan Kleppy. With Ryan Kleppy had the that big breakout game the day you and I were there when Whitewater was at uh Mary Hardin-Baylor back at the old high school stadium in whatever that was? Was that 05 then? Oh,
0: 07? That, yeah, I think it was 07. 07, yeah. This yeah. is what you tune in for the podcast for: random reminiscing from Pat and I.
1: Randomnessing,
2: no making up words.
1: All right. So, who are the actual candidates then? Noble, Jones, McRae. These are the guys. I think we're out on Frankie Fuster. Okay. Sorry. Um. All right. Uh, so, how about we have a uh, show of hands for Noble? And this is think of this as a maybe, a possibly f- a first ballot.
0: Wait, is this a? Is this a uh, ranked choice voting?
1: (laughs) I don't know if we have time to do ranked choice voting. I hear them trying to kick us out of here.
0: He's my two. Okay, I got you. That's what that is.
1: All right, who's got uh, Nobile as a one? All right, who's got Nobile as a two? Okay, Nobile as a three? Okay, Um, who has, besides Frank, who has Tevin Jones as a one? Uh, Tevin Jones is a two. Tevin Jones is a three. All right. Uh, Dallas McRae. Dallas McRae is a one.
0: Greg, talk me into it. I-, I buy it.
1: Dallas McRae is a two.
2: Common opponents are a primary criteria.
1: Well, that would be me. Sorry. <laughs> I have to do <laughs> Dallas McRae as a two. Uh, Dallas McRae is a three. <clears throat> I think we had two ones and a two for McRae. But you weren't paying attention? No, I'm sorry. I I mean, I know we had two ones and a 2 for McRae, and that is the highest result. How about that? I did not come into the night thinking that uh, senior defensive tackle Dallas McRae from Crown Point, Indiana, would be the 2019 D3Football.com Defensive Player of the Year, and he is. I will say this.
3: I bet you the national champions would actually agree with the choice, which is usually a good sign of the
1: choice you made. Keith, did you get a chance to ask your traditional question in the postgame? No. For everybody remember. Oh, I'm going to ask uh, the people in the upper deck here. Who remembers what uh, Keith's traditional question in the postgame is? Yeah, we've got the crickets back there. That is uh, which defense was the toughest you faced all season or which team was the toughest you faced all season.
0: And it actually would have been um, interesting to hear them go through that, although uh, I think there, there was plenty of... This one is a little easier for us to discern since Wheaton beat North Central. Uh, Mountain Union gave up 59, and Whitewater 41, and, you know, Muhlenberg 45, DelVal 31. I think there is a pretty statistical easy consensus.
3: I did ask Jeff Thorne some version or variation of that question, and Wheaton ended up being the first – team he came up with and uh, for the longest
1: discussion of that so i would say he would have agreed with that answer the uh, the cciw sweeps the major awards uh, it is a but emblematic of the season i think we had in division three football Also, traditionally on this final podcast, we kind of talk through what the final top twenty-five might look like, or at least what our ballot might look like. Often, of course, it's fairly easy to say national champ one, national runner-up two. Sometimes, when the national championship game is a blowout, it doesn't really work out that way so readily. I think in
3: this case, it does uh, still go one-two because, frankly, it's you know North Central obviously one, number two, okay, Whitewater. Who did uh, North Central beat in the last round? Muhlenberg. They beat Muhlenberg badly. You can't go below Whitewater on the other side of the bracket, essentially. So I think it becomes pretty easy. I think if the result had reversed, you would have had a little bit of, I think, more debate about it. But in this case, I think North Central settled the question for us,
1: ultimately. I think almost exactly the opposite. I think that the fact that uh, North Central blew the team that they faced out tonight, makes me think that maybe Mount Union could be the second best team. Maybe somebody else, maybe Wheaton could be the second best team. I know Keith raised this earlier, and I'm kind of stealing that uh, that part of the conversation. But uh, I really actually, um, you know, we have, here's the thing about the voter panel, right? We have eight coaches, we have eight media, eight SIDs. The coaches often will just, will go one, two, champ, runner-up fairly easily because, you know, Etc. I think that uh, folks like the four of us in this room who all vote might be the ones who are more likely to go the other direction.
0: I'll tell you that I have my final top 25. I'm only through number nine, but I have it up on my screen here. Uh, Tell us
1: what you – if you mind sharing, tell us what you got.
0: Sure. I mean, the fourth quarter was not too active, so I uh, I have a a spreadsheet with the whole season in it. Um, I got North Central number one, Wheaton number two. And Mountain Union, number three. I think tonight clarified that the best, the, the, the best team in the country at this moment is North Central. A team that beat that team by two touchdowns can't be too far from them. Uh, and Mountain Union played, played, a, the, was all, played the only place close playoff game against them. Whitewater got blown out. Muhlenberg got blown out. Del DelVal lost by 17. So the problem is this. There's no there's – no you can't make sense of what's left because <laughs> yeah. I got uh, North Central 1, Wheaton 2, Mountain Union 3, Whitewater 4, St. John's 5. Well, St. John's beat Wheaton two weeks ago. Right. But – but, and, and Whitewater beat St. John's. Yeah. So I, you can't make sense of it. <laughs> I think Mary Harden-Baylor is the six, and then you go – I have DelVal over Muhlenberg by virtue of playing North Central closer and then Salisbury in the ninth spot.
3: I I get where you're going with that, but the Wheaton game was so long ago I think is part one of my problem with this, and they lose to St. John's uh, in the end, so uh, I I, I can't buy into that that easily. I think the Mount Union problem I have is that who did they beat this season at the end of the day? Who did they beat? I don't believe in John Carroll right now or the other OAC teams to the degree I would have, let's say, three years ago, and so... I get the closeness of the game, the 59-52 thing and all that, but I'm giving them number two based on one game now that we have a full season in the rear view. It's tough. That's tough to do.
2: I'm still sorting out my top four or five, uh, and as Keith said, there's no there's no easy, tidy way to deal with it. And I think, in part, this is kind of what has been fun about this season and this tournament, is that now we've got a legitimate debate about who the top not just the top one or two are but the top five or six or seven and almost every position is defensible.
1: I think what it will do is we'll probably end up seeing a final top 25 that has not so easily stratified teams like we have sometimes in the past where you can see 625 votes points for number one that's obvious and then you don't necessarily see 600 for number two and 575 and and on down the line but look for that whenever we get 25 votes in uh, this is always the hardest uh, ballot to get people to vote on so vote if you haven't voted if you haven't voted by the time you've heard this you're late I can extend that music out to about the uh, six to eight minutes it's going to take us to get through everybody's final thoughts on the Division Three football season. We're going to start with Frank. For me, I,
3: I said this in the pregame, I'll say it again here, uh, this game a lot of people always wonder if it's not the old familiars or the recent familiars in the game, if it's going to feel strange or different. Uh, and to me, we've had a great week with... The North Central folks and the return of the Whitewater folks essentially. Uh, you know, jabbing back and forth, joking around, talking uh, like old friends. It is kind of a family, extended family thing with the friends that we've made um, every year with Mount Union folks and the Mary Harden Baylor folks and the old days with the Whitewater folks. And it almost felt like we weren't skipping a beat here uh, with the folks that we ran into throughout this week and even the teams, the Brock Rudders, the world and whatnot, we're legitimately happy to talk with this, work with this and everything else. So this has just been, for the newness of a lot of things, everything new is old again, I guess. Uh, we'll go reverse on the, the old standard, uh, but it, it's been fun. And I, you, you know what? I From day one, this seemed like an interesting season, and it ends up being, something I would never described on day one, even.
1: I yield 90 seconds to the gentleman from California.
2: You know, the, the, the thought that I keep coming back to this week is, is refreshing. It's been really refreshing to uh, see a new fan base and a new team and a new set of coaches get this stag bowl experience. And the way that North Central fans embrace this, uh, you know, they, they turned out in the hundreds tonight. They were very enthusiastic. Uh, And really hung on every play of the game right down to the end and you know it's been really fun to see that and I think it's I think it's great for other teams in the division and fan bases around the division to see a new team reach the top and North Central has been building to this for a while and we can you know if your team has been in the playoffs and you win a game or two here and there, but you can't quite get past the second or the third round, keep chipping away because, you know, North Central just kept chipping away and finally got over the top. I'll go next.
1: Uh, one of the things that I said at the end of our uh, game broadcast tonight is, is what I'm going to kind of uh, reiterate here in that it was just... Uh, the unconventional season kind of all the way around. You know, we had this year in which we had a defending Gullardy Trophy winner who had another great season, did not win the title. We had a year in which, you know, two Pool C teams played here in the National Championship. As you guys uh, said, you know, basically the team that was the last one in the field of the five at-larges, obviously not Team 32, but uh, the last team that got into the field is the one that walks off with the trophy you know we end up with a brand new champion and we haven't had a whole ton of brand new champions in a while we obviously had a couple but they all wore purple right so this is uh, you know the purple the the someone went through two purple powers to win the national title um it's just uh you know someone who lost a game comes back and wins the national championship when, when greg when you talked about you know, seeing a new team come here and do this—those are the things that we get to see in Division Three basketball all the time. You know, those, those, that kind of—you know—churn, uh, that rotation, that turnover at the of the teams at the top happens all the time in basketball. Happens very rarely in football. And I just really enjoyed that this was a completely different season and it was super enjoyable to follow, super enjoyable to cover. I had a lot of fun and which is good because you know it really keeps my energy up going into 2020.
0: Well I couldn't agree with all of you more in that it was uh was it was refreshing. It was cool to see a new team experience everything for the first time. We get to know them and hear all their stories and everything from uh from Chase the Lion down to you know the the stories about the bus and and all the stuff that that happened with uh coach Thorne presenting the trophy with his dad to his dad on the podium
1: i don't know where my dad is i was trying to get him up here but hey get up here john thorne you need to get up
0: here and hold that trophy because he's the one that started it all
3: congratulations to your whole family here how do you feel about what your son and this team has accomplished
2: it's a great great feeling and I'm so proud of all the players this year and all the years back to the very beginning of Cardinal football when it all started many, many, many years ago. This is for them, for these guys. But this coaching staff with Jeff and three three of our full-time guys all played for us. It's just so amazing to... Have the program reach so many families, so many players. I, I,
3: it's...
0: Your emotion, I can tell you get a little overwhelmed with emotion right now. A lot of amazing stories this year. I think for me, though... This, the, the season is bigger than the Stag Bowl, and so you got to run back through some of the, the outstanding things that happened during the year. How about Ithaca and Cortland bringing 45,000 fans to MetLife Stadium for their rivalry game? And it was a, a pretty uh, exciting rivalry week for some of us, not as much for others in the, in the room. Uh, Frank's alma mater... <laughs> Had an outstanding season. Bridgewater came back out of nowhere. Frank's alma mater is uh, Union, and they were an 11-win team before it ran into Salisbury. Salisbury was a team that that was also receiving votes preseason, went three rounds deep in the playoffs. Then I think you got these playoffs. This was maybe the best playoff that I can remember because you have Aurora with a nine-point lead to St. John's late in that one. St. John's has to score twice. With, behind Jackson Erdman, a team that almost got to the Stag Bowl, almost went out to a team from the, the NAC in round one. Uh, amazing rally there. That was 51-47. You had the 68-65 triple overtime game between Chapman and Linfield. Central beats uh, Oshkosh 38-37 in overtime. Then the next week you have the 59-52 game between North Central Mountain Union. The Wheaton-St. John's ending in the quarterfinals was the most insane thing some of us have ever seen. Wheaton hands the ball like four times in a row to a center in the backfield who plows in, and, of course, the center, not being familiar with uh, scoring touchdowns, spikes the ball, 15-yard penalty. Wheaton misses the kick, but offsetting penalty. (laughs) So uh, they get an opportunity to kick again, but not change the yardage at all. So it's a whatever, 30-some-odd-yard kick, and uh, misses it again. Wheaton loses 34-33, I think, to counter Frank's point from 10 minutes ago. I think Wheaton could could have beaten St. John's, and you can say they lost on a point after. Those, those teams were fairly even, and Wheaton certainly could have been here today if it had managed to make a kick. And then the following week, Jackson Erdman gets the ball with uh, two minutes left against Whitewater, getting ready to pre- break the single-season passing record, drive down the field for either the game-tying field goal or the game-winning touchdown, and instead, uh, Anderson for you Dub Dub, picks it off. 35-32. We got a great game in each round. Then we had the closest Gallardi Trophy vote of all time. And Shenandoah, we hardly knew ye. Two Stag Bowls. We're on the way to Canton next year. And I think next season will be wide open. You had neither Mount Union or Mary Harden-Baylor in the Stag Bowl today. Certainly North Central has a lot of its playmakers back. Loses Brock Rutter. You know, you could make a case for, for any of the teams in the top six plus uh, a lot of the teams ready to break through from the east. So I think next year will be a lot of fun. But you know, enjoy your Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, January. Enjoy your basketball season, summer. We'll talk to you again for kickoff because, look, it's a little early to be talking about next season.
1: Hey, I fully intend to have a January podcast and a February podcast and maybe even a March podcast.
0: Your co-host might be Greg Thomas, <laughs>
1: Adam Turr or something. I'll probably show up. It's probably not Adam Turr. That guy is just not the technology
0: guy, right? Wow. First first unnecessary shots fired at Kenyon in this podcast. And right. then Adam Turr. What do you gotta get to Ohio, man? <laughs>
1: That's it. That's definitely what it is.
0: It's uh, spreading. Went from the eastern side
1: of Ohio and now it's just the it's, whole state. It's, it's headed west. How did those shots skip over everybody else in that state then?
0: Just wait for you to say something mean unnecessarily about Bluffton.
1: And that was the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, number 270, season 13, episode number, can you believe it, folks? Number 33. What a crazy long season it has been. Thanks to everybody, of course, who helped with the production of this podcast. Thanks to uh, Adam Turr, who's not here, but I just gestured at Frank in order to say Adam Turr. Thanks to Frank Rossi. Thanks to Greg Thomas. Thanks to Keith McMillan. Thanks to... Uh, the music that uh, we're using right now and is our theme music, and a lot of the other music in this podcast is by DJ Mentos, and you can find it at djmentos.com, also on Spotify. M e n t o s. Yes. Mentowski. Yes. The Freshmaker fresh maker. Yes. Exactly. Uh, you can find those, as I said, there. You can follow us on Twitter uh, and uh, tweet at us using the d3fb hashtag. I'm at d3football. Keith is at d3keith. Frank is at Frank Rossi. Uh, Greg Thomas is at Wally Wabash. Uh, those are the places that you can find all of us on Twitter. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering the post with a legitimate email address at d3boards.com. Uh, also, I uh, should, of course, uh, mention that the executive producer of the d3football.com Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman, production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. And I know I've done this uh, set of credits completely, Out of order, but that doesn't matter because we've wrapped up now the 2019 season in front of 1,362 fans here at Wood Forest Bank Stadium in Shenandoah, Texas. The final score UW Whitewater Falls, North Central advances. They advance, they're done, there's nowhere to advance to. You advance to putting a trophy in your case with a 41 14 win over UW Whitewater.
0: Are we about to advance the Buffalo Wild Wings? Do we, uh. Are they open? Does we know if, uh. Hey Siri!
1: Is uh, Buffalo okay. Wild Wings in Shenandoah, Texas still open?
2: King Brock of, and roll. The
0: King of Brock. There is none higher. <laughs> MC. Lots of School options. School of Brock? School of Brock. Yes.
1: Brockadocious.
0: Brock. Mm. Brock. Hey, Brock Arena. Hey,
1: oh. I don't think that's going in, it, but it's good. Thank out. God.
0: <laughs> There'll be a time to, uh, to look at all this stuff and to reflect, but now's not the time.